Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. And today, we're going to be talking about the work of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in battling religious discrimination in the workplace. And a very exciting case going up, we hope, to the United States Supreme Court. My guest today, my friend and colleague, Attorney Todd McFarland, Associate General Counsel for the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Todd, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thanks, Alan. It's great to be here. So um, don't sound too excited now. I'm on California time. It's earlier here. You've been up for a while. Um, Patterson, you've got a case that you're hoping the Supreme Court will hear. Tell us about it. Sure. Uh, Daryl Patterson was a gentleman who was working for uh, Walgreens in their uh, call center. He was a trainer for them, so he wasn't the guy taking the calls, but rather training all the people who took the calls. And things had been going fine there. He'd worked there for about seven years. And then in 2011, Walgreens got a letter from the Alabama Department of Pharmacy that apparently they didn't know the pharmacy law. And the state of Alabama told Walgreens, uh, all your call center employees who are refilling prescriptions by the phone are violating Alabama state law because they're not pharmacists or pharmacy techs. So Walgreens, despite being a huge multi-billion dollar corporation and a supposedly knowing pharmacy law, was unaware of this. So they had to transfer all the calls over to Florida on an emergency basis. Apparently in Florida, anyone can fill a prescription. Uh, and our guy, Daryl Patterson, was a trainer there in Orlando. And so Walgreens needed some additional training, not long training, but some additional training done for its customer care reps there to be able to take the, uh, to take the calls. And they assigned that to him late on a Friday afternoon, told him he needed to do it Saturday and Sunday. Uh, he told them I can't do it on Saturday. It was a longstanding knowledge that he couldn't work there. They had another trainer they could have assigned it to, but they didn't. They assigned it to him instead. And so he missed that Saturday. And as a result of that, despite the fact the training got done within the time frame that Walgreens wanted it, and they got the calls transferred over in the time frame that Walgreens uh, had, had goal was, they fired him for missing that one Saturday, which was, by the way, contrary to their own policy. Their policy said that um, you got three strikes uh, on absences before you were terminated. They fired him on the first strike. Well, you know, this seems like, the way you tell it, a very clear, strong case. Companies, especially these big companies, they have what we call progressive discipline policies. You know, you get a strike, you get verbal notice, a written notice, you get, you know, a couple of chances, and there's progress towards termination. You're not just terminated the first time you do something wrong, and especially not for being absent a single day. That just seems really um, excessively punitive. So yeah, the, and, court, and, the lower you know, courts agreed with that, right? It was pretty obvious. 
No, unfortunately, they didn't. Um, the trial court judge uh, dismissed the case, agreeing with Walgreens, and then the Court of Appeals agreed with them. Uh, we just happened to get um, some very unfriendly judges to uh, to both religion and to uh, and to employment cases. And essentially, what the court said was, well. Walgreens might have a problem in the future. They had the plans to change things around, and they needed someone who would be available 24-7. And even though they sort of implicitly conceded there wasn't an hardship of missing that one Saturday, in the future things might be differently, and so therefore they were entitled to uh, to terminate him. Well, actually, I should say, Walgreens discussed with him going back to being a customer care representative, in other words, being a person on the phone. Now, that job paid of, you know, less than half, more like a third of what he was making before. And Walgreens conceded that that might still be required to work on Sabbath. And in fact, in the deposition, Walgreens' own employee said Walgreens' policy when it came to religious accommodation was they don't accommodate. Uh, despite all that, the district court and the court of appeals still ruled in favor of, of Walgreens. So, you know, let's take a step back. If our listeners are unfamiliar with our work in this area and the law in this area, you know, it should be noted that the Seventh-day Adventists are at the forefront of upholding and working for the rights of workers, not just of Seventh-day Adventists with respect to Sabbath, but people of all faiths not to be discriminated against. And the law specifically prevents employers from making workers choose between their religion and their job, which is basically what they did to Mr. Patterson in this case. Um, but the law also puts a balance and puts a burden on the employers to justify if really feel it's necessary to infringe on an employee's religious practice. Um, why don't you talk about that um, that undue hardship uh, requirement and how that applies in this case, Todd? Well, right. So what the court has said in a, in a case from the 1970s was that undue hardship means, because the court had to give it meaning, means anything more than a minimal amount of hardship, or in the legal phrase, de minimis. Now, this is a standard that courts and Congress have rejected repeatedly since then in other contexts. So, for instance, disability, it's a much higher standard. FMLA and other areas which you get leave, uh, hardship isn't even a factor. Uh, but the courts took this position that undue hardship means anything more than a minimal amount. And this is often means anything. You can never require them to hire another employee. Routine use of overtime has been held to be problematic. They've also held that if there's a collective bargaining agreement, as in the labor union, you can't require the company to violate the collective bargaining agreement. And that often, you know, sort of limits options because days off and vacation time are, and, and schedules are often tied to seniority. Okay. It sounds like while the employer has to respect the religious practices, only if it doesn't really cost them very much. Right, um, or that much of a difficulty. Yes, it's a very low standard. And even, like I said, and this is the thing that's been frustrating about Patterson, even in situations where you can demonstrate that there wouldn't be much of a hardship, or still seem to find ways to rule for employers. And, you know, there's another case out of Texas or the Fifth Circuit in which a person, Jehovah's Witness, didn't want to, uh, to, to, to drive truck, uh, in, you know, in a two-person sleeper truck, uh, with a woman. And he said, um, 
you know, if I get tired up with a woman, just skip me. I'll take the hit and go to the next person. There'll be no adverse consequences. And the court said there, oh, no, no, no. Even the mere possibility of an imposition uh, is enough for an undue hardship. And so some courts have been very, very hostile and said, like I said, even the mere possibility uh, it can be an undue hardship. Well, and thankfully, that's not all courts, and there's some good case law going the other way. And I gather from how you framed this, uh, you know, what you've told us about the Patterson case, they got the training done without them in time. So there was no actual hardship or imposition on the workplace. They got the job done, which is what you expect of these big companies. Right. No, you know, the interesting thing is he was so important, you know, essentially Walgreens argued he was so important we had to fire him. So, you know, he was supposed to do the training Saturday and Sunday. He goes in Sunday to do the training, but the person who they called in to, to who could have done it on Saturday, uh, but, but wouldn't, uh, had uh, claimed to have child care uh, problems, did the Sunday training. On Monday morning, he does the training for the people on Saturday he was supposed to. Uh, then later that day, they put him on suspension while they, quote, investigate. Uh, and then they were supposed to be wrapped up by Tuesday for their uh, all their training for the switchover and, and were done by then and made the switchover when they were scheduled to. So, you know, you kind of raise this point that is an irony in many of these Sabbath cases because, you know, the company's position is we need you so badly, you know, on that day, on the Saturday, the sixth day, you know, work day or the fifth work day of your week that we're willing to get rid of you so you can't work the other four or five days of the week, which, you know, makes no sense whatsoever. But let's switch gears here for a moment and tell our listeners some good news, because, yeah, this case, you know, we're on a wing and a prayer to see if the Supreme Court will take it and make some sense out of it. But we recently got a very favorable ruling in a case that's been going on for seven long years against a post office, a United States post office in Loma Linda, California, where for 81 years they had delivered mail on Sundays in this predominantly Seventh-day Adventist community, and they decided they were making some changes, moving post office around, and, and they decided to change the delivery day to Saturday, knowing that there were four Seventh-day Adventist mail carriers that they would be hard-pressed to accommodate. And sure enough, after seven years, we had an administrative judge rule that they had discriminated against one of these mail carriers, the one whose case was pending, because they didn't accommodate him and didn't lift a finger to accommodate him after they changed the delivery day and, and he was required to deliver mail on Saturdays. Uh, so sometimes these cases take a long time. How long has the Patterson case been going on? Yeah, well, it's a similar time frame. He was fired in 2011. Uh, he uh, he was in the EOC, which is an administrative charge uh, section, for several years. And then we filed the case, I believe, in 2015. So, yeah. So it's been seven years, and hopefully it's not over. Uh, the Supreme Court takes just a fraction of the cases that are presented to it. Is that right? 
Right. Yeah. The odds are are always very low. I mean, they get you know five to six, seven thousand paid submissions a year. You know, a merits docket any given year is maybe about seventy cases. Uh, now our odds are a little bit better than that. One of the things that we have going for us is that well, both issues that are going up are there's circuit splits on, and one of them is a pretty acknowledged circuit split. And what that means is. There's different courts of appeals around the country, and what has happened is different courts of appeals and different courts in the country have interpreted the same law differently. And one of the Supreme Court's main jobs is harmonizing that law and making it so the same federal law applies equally across the country. And so that is one of the things that we have going for us. So, um, I know one of those circuit splits has to do with what we call the elimination test, whether an accommodation to be an accommodation has to resolve fully the conflict between the job duty and the religious practice. In this case, in other words, uh, remove the obligation to work on the Sabbath. I right. assume that's one of the circuit splits, but what's the other one? This issue of whether or not an undue hardship can be sort of based on future or speculative. In other words, that the employer might in the future have a problem and therefore they don't have to, quote, take that risk. Uh, so that's the other issue. And as you well know, there's case law out there that says an undue hardship can't be speculative. Uh, but the 11th Circuit, you know, based out of Atlanta, said, no, nope, Walgreens, you know, they were changing their operations around. There might have been a problem in the future. Uh, they were entitled to have someone... Uh, in the job and, you know, without this kind of religious need, even though it hadn't caused a problem since he'd worked there in the prior six or seven years. Wow. That really seems harsh. Just yeah, it was. And, you know, I mean, it's just so unfair on so many levels. And the opinion, if you read it, was such a sort of outcome hash of a legal opinion. I mean, it was just very clear these were three judges that had decided what they wanted to do and just wrote an opinion to match that as opposed to, you know, really, um, really following the law. You know, it's interesting because one of them was a very recent Trump appointee uh, who, you know, who lawyers that we know and work with felt would be friendly to a religion. You know, absolutely no interest in standing up for religion, which is disappointing. I mean, that's one of the things, but, you know, there's absolutely no interest. Thank you very much, Todd. We're out of time. Our guest today, Todd McFarland, Associate General Counsel of the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, talking about a case going up to the Supreme Court. We hope to resolve some very critical issues involving religious discrimination in the workplace. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.